12, if you would, in Ecclesiastes chapter number 12, and uh, uh, we're coming to the conclusion. This is it. This is the last message in uh, this series that we've been preaching through the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to start in Ecclesiastes 12. We'll go back and look at Ecclesiastes 11, so uh, usually when a preacher asks you to hold your place in one place, it's like the other side of the Bible. I just need you to hold your place in two pages, right there. Ecclesiastes 11 and Ecclesiastes chapter 12 will cover both, uh, but uh, before we do that, let me just ask this question. How many of you have ever heard the expression, if I knew then what I know now? No, I'm not talking about the Kenny Rogers song. I'm talking about the expression, if I knew then what I know now. It's an expression that we use, and the expression is used simply to imply that if someone had the wisdom of tomorrow, yesterday, it might change the outcome of today. And how many of you have ever been in that position where you've gone through a series of valleys or bad decisions only to discover that you're in a heap of trouble and maybe you've come to that conclusion, man, if I just knew then what I know now, it would save me from a world of hurt and it would change my outcome. How many of you, if you knew how society was going to respond to the virus, you would have gone like two weeks ago to Costco and bought all of the toilet paper, all right? And sold it on the black market, anybody? Yeah, no. Wisdom changes things, doesn't it? And it'd be nice if we were inclined to some things, but the reality is that we're not always inclined to everything. But maybe you've asked that question before. Man, if I just knew then what I know now. The reason that we say that is because wisdom is a game changer. It changes the playing field completely. It adds an unfair advantage because you know the outcome, and so it changes your decision-making. And so uh, when we use that phrase, if I knew then what I know now, the then obviously describes a time that has already passed. If I knew back then what I know now, and we could really use that phrase to summarize Ecclesiastes chapter 1 all the way through chapter number 10, and maybe it's like Solomon is saying, man, if I just knew then what I know now, my now would be a lot different. Be very different. If I just knew then what I know now, he talks a lot about the then, doesn't he? He has a lot to say about the then, and he has a lot to, a little bit to say about the now, but you know what? It just surmises in one simple word, vanity. That's what he comes to the conclusion of. Vanity, vexation of spirit, uh, depression. He even says in verse number 17 of chapter number two that he hated his life. And so if I knew then what I know now, he's referring to back then. If I knew back then what I know now, my now and even my future would be different. And so we could even summarize verse or chapter one through chapter number 10 in that statement. If I just knew then, back then what I know now, But as we come to chapter number 11 and chapter number 12, which last week we talked about this, these chapters coincide. Hey, Chloe, I forgot you're here. Hey, Chloe's here, everybody. Good to have you. Sorry, I, I have the attention span of a goldfish. But, but when we get to chapter number 11 and chapter number 12, we mentioned this last week, but they really coincide so beautifully. They, they're meant to go hand in hand. I'm not running out of time to preach this series. I could go another week and, and we could just meet after missions conference and I could cover all of chapter 12, but I believe that chapter 11 and chapter number 12, they coincide so beautifully with one another and Solomon really shifts. He, he's still talking about the then and the now, but now he's talking about the now and present context and the then in future context. Look at verse number one with me in chapter number 12, if you would. It says, remember, what's the next word? Say loud, remember, remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the uh, evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. Now skip down to verse 14. Last verse of the chapter, last verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. Ready? Are you there? For God, what's the next word? Is that future or present? Future. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. So Solomon is still talking about the now, and he's still talking about the then. And and the now in the context is still current time. Remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth. But the then, it's it's like he's no longer looking back in regret, but now he's he's looking forward in great anticipation of a thing or an event 
We've been talking about that. That is to come. He's talking about the judgment that awaits every man, woman, boy, and girl. He's talking about, remember, that one event that is, that is going to uh, come to pass for every single person in this room. We're going to stand before our creator, and we're going to give an account of our good works and our bad works, the secret things, and I'm getting ahead of myself already, but the secret things, whether it be good or whether it be bad, we're going to give an account for that one day. But that's the then that he's talking about here. He's talking about the future. And so very simply, I want to talk to you about that tonight in our closing message. The now and the then. The current and the future event. The now and the then. Lord, I pray that you'd be with me tonight as we wrap up this 15-week series. And and it's been so enjoyable for me uh, to preach it. But Lord, as I've studied... And, and, and I've, I've looked and I've tried to be a good student of the word of God. The way that this book has affected me in my study has been worth it in my own Christian life, even if I never got to preach it. It has taught me some things and it's, and it's brought some things to my attention in regards to what I place on the mantle of my priorities. And so, Lord, I pray that you just give me clarity of thought tonight as we kind of conclude this series and bring it to a point. I pray that it would be tangible. I pray that it would be something very applicable. I pray that it would be something that every single person could benefit from. I think that it is. But, Lord, I pray that uh, not only would it convict hearts, but the convicted heart would respond to the preaching of the Word of God today and make advances in their Christian walk. Lord, I'm so thankful for, again, the opportunity, thankful for this church, and I'm thankful for your protection on this church. Lord, I pray that you'd continue to protect Protect us in this time of unknown and uncertainty, Lord. I pray that you just help us even to come closer together while we're still separated far apart, Lord. I pray that you just help us in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for praying with me. There was a Nazi concentration camp back in the world, First World War. It was in the southern part of Europe, and uh, it was really not a concentration camp. It was actually an execution camp, as were most of the Nazi concentration camps. It was where people went to die, really. Prisoners of war would go to die, and, and the name of it was Camp Sobobar. Has anybody ever heard of Camp Sobobar? Camp Sobobar was in the southern part, or excuse me, the eastern part of Europe, and it was, again, a place that people would go there to die, and uh, they were very heinous in how they would treat different people and, and they would abuse them and they would beat them and, and uh, there were thousands of thousands upon thousands of people that were there and thousands upon thousands of people that died there at Camp Sobobar and so no one ever escaped Camp Sobobar. It was very intense in regards to the level of security that they would have and people would uh, try to escape and they'd be assassinated and so one day there was a commotion uh, something happened where the gates were open and freedom was right in front of a plethora of these, uh, a, a plethora of these, uh, uh, these people that were held in the confines of Camp Sobobar. And so a thousand men, about a thousand men decided, we're going to try to make it to the tree line. A thousand men left. And as soon as they made it out of the gate, 300 of the men said, this is the dumbest idea we've ever had, turned right back and sifted back into the crowd. So there's 700 men now that are trying to escape uh, Camp Sobabar, and so they're running for the tree line, and of the 700 men that left, 100 men made it to the tree line. 600 men were either assassinated or they were captured and placed back into the confines of the camp. 1,000 men now have their freedom. But they're right behind us. We better get out of here. And they understood that if we stay in close proximity with one another, we're probably going to get caught. So they separated, they scattered, and some men went this way, and some men went this way. And there were three gentlemen, they were young men that were together, that were friends that escaped, and they went a certain direction and they started going. Now, they're escaping prison. They're escaping this concentration camp. They don't have the proper shoes, if any shoes at all, they definitely don't have the proper gear. And now they're in the forest and their freedom is before them, but they're running for their lives, trying to get away from these guards. And they travel and one day turns into two days and two days turns into three days. And by the third day, as they're again traveling and they're just trying to get away as far away as they possibly can from Camp Sobobar, uh, one of the gentlemen had developed sores on his feet. And you know, when you're in that uh, situation, you're dehydrated, you're malnourished, and, and I, I, probably diseases and stuff are setting in. Uh, he was really in bad shape, maybe even at the point of death. And so these gentlemen were trying to carry him through the forest and they're just trying to find refuge and they're trying to find a means of escape. And and on the fourth day, on the fourth day, they finally see a clearing. It's about 200 yards in front of them. 
And it's obviously, it's not a trail from, a, uh, from a, uh, an animal or anything like that. It was man-made. They could tell it was man-made. So they grabbed the guy and they ran as fast as they could to the clearing. And as soon as they got into the clearing, they look up and in front of them is Camp Sobibor. I, I could hear the gasps. They had just wandered in a circle all the way around Camp Sobabar for four days only to find themselves right back into the center where they started and they began to run. They were captured on site. The gentleman who was sick and who was lame died. And uh, several months later, through different circumstances, one of the others died. And there was one surviving man that was able to live through the vigorous torture that he had to go through through Camp Sobobar. And he lived to tell the tale. And he told that story about how they almost escaped. Nay, they did escape only to find themselves right back into the position in which they had started. And here's what he said. There was nothing more hopeless or helpless than to exert all the energy we had exerted to only realize we had been going in a meaningless circle the whole time. Could you put yourself in his mind? Could you put yourself in their mind? They feel like they've tasted freedom. I mean, this is heinous activity that's going on against their people. And this is really, they're fighting for their lives. And you feel, even though it's rough and it's difficult, at least I'm not back there, only to find yourself four days later, right back into the hands of the enemy, aimlessly wandering in a circle, really for no reason, except for to your hurt. And as I was listening to that story just a couple of weeks ago, I couldn't help. Is that not exactly what Solomon has been saying for the past 10 chapters? Solomon has been saying, and, and this is the, the, the title of the series has been meaningless. And kind of the aim from week number one is we've been talking about this. Everything in life we try to seek and try to find meaning and find, try to find purpose. But really, if God is not at the center, you are destined for a life of meaninglessness. You're destined for a life of hopelessness. And it's almost like exerting all your energy simply to hopelessly find yourself right back to where you started at the point of death having accomplished nothing other than hurt to yourself. That's what a life outside of pursuit of, of a fellowship and a relationship with God will get you. It's just meaningless wandering in an endless circle for no reason. In Ecclesiastes chapter 11 and chapter 12, as Solomon closes out this book and he brings it to this conclusion, he gives us four final lessons that will help us prepare for the then in the now. They're gonna help us prepare for the then in the now. Can I have everybody's attention? There's a lot of pressure, um, self-inflicted pressure on a preacher whenever he's preached a series and he comes to the last message. The last message is when you're supposed to pull out all the stops. The last message is supposed to be when you use the elaborate illustrations and catch everybody's attention. And the last, the last message is supposed to be the home run message, right? And that's the anticipation that I've placed on myself in preparing for this. All right, it's got to be good. It's gotta, I got to make sure that it, it's climactic and that everybody gets it and that they leave home different than they came. And I don't know if you've enjoyed it or not. I've enjoyed preaching, but maybe you're looking at it the same perspective. All right, this is lesson 15. This is it. This is the last one. All right, give it to me, Lamar. I'm ready. Can I just ruin it for some of you tonight? If you're seeking a home run tonight, you're going to find that what I'm going to preach and what Solomon is going to say is the exact same thing he's been saying since day one. It's the exact same thing that he's been reiterating time and time again. Whenever I worked at Starbucks, uh, whenever I was in management training, we had what was called a piat, P-I-A-T, putting it all together. And it was a presentation that we would make before the board of directors at Starbucks, and it was very important that we impress them. This is my Piat message, but it's not very impressive. It's just not. Maybe none of them have been very impressive, but it's not very impressive. It's not very climactic, but I'm almost excited to preach it tonight because you know what? We're dense, like we learned last week. We're not the brightest bulb on the Christmas tree. We really struggle obeying the basic precepts of God. And so I couldn't help but think that Solomon, as he closes out Ecclesiastes, he's going to say what he's been saying the whole time simply because he knows that we're reading it some several thousand years later and knows that it might be just this one more message, this one more truth that will change somebody's perspective. 
Because there's people in this room who are discouraged. There's people in this room who are hurting, depressed. Maybe even you're self-loathing and, and you despise yourself, you're self-harming. There might even be people, I think that there might be some people in here who have contemplated suicide. That's what we've been talking about, finding meaning and finding purpose. Solomon gives us one more go at it. I'm going to give it to you quickly tonight. Here's the first lesson. Here's the first lesson. Number one, accept the secrets of life. Accept the secrets of life. <clears throat> there are some things in life that are uncertain and mysterious, are there not? There's, there's a, a life is full of, actually, we should say it this way. There are a lot of things in life that are mysterious and that are uncertain. I mean, really, when it comes to humanity speaking, we live day to day on a whim. Like, it's your best guess. I don't know what today's going to hold, and so I can do my best. But really, no man really knows what's going to happen tomorrow. No one knows what's going to transpire and what's going to take place. And so I do want to say this, and I said this to the choir earlier. We understand that life is in the hands of a sovereign and a righteous God. I'll say that again. We know that life is in the hands of a sovereign and a righteous God who's in control. Yes, God is in control, but there's some things he doesn't choose to disclose to us, isn't there? There's a lot that he chooses not to disclose to us. And, and really, it feels like we can be aimlessly wandering through life without the information necessary to make uh, plans and preparations for our life. And so the tendency can be sometimes to throw up our hands and just say, why stress about life because you can't control it? I mean, why worry about it? Why, why stress about something that you can't control? And there's a merit of truth to that. I don't want to overly stress about things that are beyond our control. And, and I don't want to necessarily bog down myself with worry about what is beyond the hands of my control, but in the hands of, of the control of a mighty and a righteous God. But, but did you know that a lack of, uh, excuse me, a lack of control isn't a license to forego the process of planning? It's not a license to forego the process of planning. We talked about it a little bit last week, but we ought to do what we know till we know what to do. I got, that, I got that information. It was some of the greatest wisdom I've ever been given. I got it from an upperclassman whenever I was at Heartland and I was having problems with my, or not my fiance, but my girlfriend, Rebecca, and he liked this girl named Rebecca and I was stressed out about all these different things. They are all trivial things. And he was just a simple guy, man, a few words. His name was Richard Fasaro from Texas. But whatever he spoke, you listened. And he just said, Lamar, just do what you know till you know what to do. That's very profound though. A lot of the times we set up expectations for ourselves to accomplish things we were never meant to accomplish. Just do what you know until you know what to do. Apply the wisdom that you do have. Solomon gives us a few life hacks. How many of you like life hacks? How many of you watch those videos on Facebook? Life hacks and different things that you can do. Here, here's, he, he's going to give us some life hacks for planning despite uncertainty. Ready? I'm going to give them to you quickly. Here's the first one. Widen your investments. Widen your investments. Go back to chapter 11. We're going to be there for a minute. Go back to chapter 11 and look at verse number one. Widen your investments. Verse number one, it says, Cast thy bread upon the waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight, for thou knowest not what evil shall be upon the earth. You know what Solomon is telling us in verse number one and verse number two? Be responsible with your finances. Be responsible, be a good steward, be wise with your finances. Why? Because there's a then coming. There's an end coming. So we should be wise with our finances. By the way, we should be wise with the finances that God gave us. All your finances are God-given. All your resources are God-given. He says in verse number one, again, cast thy bread upon the waters, plural, waters, for thou shalt find it after many days. Give a portion to seven and also to eight. That's a little confusing if you don't know the context, but the context here, Solomon is talking or he's referring to shipping ventures, all right? He's, he's referring to these shipping ventures, which in Solomon's day were high-risk, high-reward undertakings, High risk and high reward. By investing all of your money into one ship, you could make several times your initial investment or you could lose it all. That sound a little familiar to you? This week we had one of the worst drops in stock market history. I hope for the life of me that there's not an individual in here who had all their money invested in a particular stock. He says, widen your investments. And the principle that we can take away from here is very simply this. Diversify, diversify, diversify. I know this is practical, but this is needed. Listen, we're, we're a church that ought to be good with our finances. And he's saying, widen your investments. You should diversify. Another way to say it is, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. Widen your investments. Here's the second one. Work intensely. 
work intentionally. Look at verse number three with me. It says, if the clouds be full of rain, they empty themselves upon the earth. And if the tree fall toward the south or toward the north in the place where the tree falleth, deep theology, there it shall be. (laughs) Verse four, he that observeth the wind shall not sow. And he that regardeth the clouds shall not reap. As thou knowest not what is the way of the spirit, nor how the bones do grow in the womb of her that is with child, even so thou knowest not the work of God, the works of God who maketh all. He makes everything. In the morning sow thy seed, and in the evening withhold not thine hand, for thou knowest not whether whether shall prosper, either this or that, or whether they both shall be alike good. Here's what Solomon is saying. He's advocating a mind to work. He's advocating the working man. He's advocating the man or the person who has a work ethic, someone who desires to work. He doesn't look for excuses not to sow, but wakes up early and is ready to put his hand to the plow. And he kind of draws this picture for us. He draws a picture of somebody, a foolish sower, who's going to come on and he's going to come outside and he's going to observe the weather. Tut, tut. It looks like rain. I can't sow in the rain. If I sow in the rain, that means it's going to be very difficult for me to plow through that mud. I'm going to put myself, uh, I'm going to put myself under the elements. I'm going to get rained on. And he says that that's foolish. You're observing the rain. You're observing the clouds. In other words, you're looking for an excuse not to work. But a working man, it's not that he's flipping in his work and he's careless. He makes a plan, but his plan involves working. His plan involves getting busy. His plan involves applying himself, waking up early and putting his hand to the plow. If you work hard, there are no guarantees that you'll be successful. Did you hear me? Lamar, that doesn't sound like what I've been taught. I I thought that uh, hard work pays off. Uh, That's not guaranteed. It's the truth. You might work your tail off and not be rewarded. You might work as hard as you can and not be successful. Can I tell you something even more profound? If you don't work hard, there is a guarantee that you won't be successful. (laughs) Seriously though, he says that a fool will go and he will observe the circumstances and the situations around him and he's just looking for an opportunity not to apply himself. But he doesn't necessarily say that the working man is gonna be rewarded, but he does say this, hey, you better apply yourself to work so that you can reap a harvest. Solomon tells us, even though the future is uncertain, we will still have a, excuse me, we still have a responsibility today to use the resources God has given us wisely and to work intensely. He advocates using your resources, that's your money, your finances, the things that God has given you, use them wisely, widen your investments, but not only that, work hard, work intensely, accept the secrets of life. Here's the second one. Appreciate the seasons of life. Appreciate the seasons of life. This sounds very familiar, doesn't it? We talked about this just a few weeks ago, but we really, we really don't measure life by, by, uh, by these dates or, or, or by these weeks or months or years. We developed this kind of process a few weeks ago. We measure life by seasons, by seasons. It says in Ecclesiastes 3 and verse number 1, we read in, I believe it was week number 2 or week number 3, to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the sun. And then he goes on to give these 14 different contrasts in regards to seasons. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted. Again, he's just kind of going over these different seasons of life. And in chapter number 11 and chapter 12, Solomon goes a little further in explaining uh, our response to certain seasons of life. And he tells us how to prepare for the then and the now, regardless of the season of life you're in. I'll give them to you. They're very practical, but I love them. Here's the first one. Redeem each day totally. Redeem each day totally. In other words, do not waste the opportunity of today. Do not waste the opportunity that today has permitted you. God has given you today, and guess what? You get to redeem it just like you want. That's very liberating, isn't it? You get to redeem it exactly like you want, but you know what you don't get to do? You don't get to bank it. You don't get to bank today. Today, there's one today. There's one tomorrow. There's one the next day. And you don't get to take today and say, really, I don't like how this, this was handled. I don't like how this situation, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to scratch it. I'm going to try again. And I'm going to take today and put it in tomorrow. It doesn't work that way. You get today and that's it. When today is over, it's over. You get one chance to take advantage of today and it's over. Look at Ecclesiastes 11 and verse number seven. 
He says, truly the light is sweet and a pleasant thing it is for the eyes to behold the sun. And every Seattleite said, it's a nice thing to behold the sun. He's talking about life here though. He's talking about it's a, it's a delight to enjoy the life that God has given you. Verse number eight, but if a man live many years and rejoice in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness for they shall be uh, many. All that cometh is vanity. Solomon warns us to consider our morality and respond wisely to the situations in life regardless of the darkness that is to come. In other words, days of darkness to come that are imminent shouldn't withhold us from redeeming the days of light today. I've almost preached just as much about enjoying life as I have about the vanity of life because Solomon says it over and over again. Life is a gift from God and it is meant to be enjoyed. It's meant to be enjoyed in God's way, but nonetheless, you ought to wake up every single day saying, this is a gift from God and I'm gonna try my debt level best to make the most out of it because I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. God's given you today, it's a gift, don't waste it. Redeem each day totally, here's the second one. Rejoice in your youth thoroughly. Rejo and all the older people said? Rejoice in your youth thoroughly. Look at verse number nine, it says, Rejoice, O young man, in thy youth, and let thy heart cheer thee in the days of thy youth, and walk in the ways of thine heart, and in the sight of thine eyes. But know thou, that for all these things God will bring thee unto judgment, therefore... In light of, because of what I've just said, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh, for childhood and youth are vanity. Again, we're talking about appreciating the seasons of life, and here's what Solomon is saying at the end as he closes out chapter number 11. Hey, young people, listen to me. Young people, don't be in such a hurry to grow up. That's what he's saying. Don't be in such a hurry to grow up. Don't be in such a hurry to remove yourself from the season that God has placed you simply to get on into adulthood. Listen, how many of you parents and older folks wish you could go back to a time when you didn't pay bills? Yeah. How many of you wish you could go back to a time where you could get four hours of sleep and still function at maximum capacity? Hey, don't be in such a hurry to grow up. It's very practical, but it's, it, hey, I'm 27 years old, and I've realized that age is not a number, it's a feeling. We'll talk about it here in just a second, but the older that I get, the less energy that I have, the less energy I have to execute, but I have 10 times more things to execute. It's very practical, but here's what Solomon is saying. Young people, enjoy the energy you have. Enjoy the learning experiences you have. Enjoy the development process. Enjoy your youth. But he doesn't just say to rejoice in your youth because I like how he says it in verse number 10. He says, therefore, remove sorrow from thy heart and put away evil from thy flesh for childhood and youth are vanity. It's very important. Verse 10 is just as important as verse number nine. We ought to rejoice in our youth, but you know what? We ought to remove sorrow and we ought to put away evil. Listen to me. Do not buy into the lie that the world will feed you, that it is your liberty to go out and to sow your wild oats. Can I tell you something? Perfect track record. Every single person that has ever gone out and sowed their wild oats has had to reap them. It's just the truth. The world will tell you that your youth years are meant to be spent experiencing and experimenting and doing a bunch of different things, but they fail to tell you that that leads to a lifelong of ramifications because of the malpractice and the bad decisions that you made when you were in your youth. So it's not just important that you enjoy the energy that you have. It's not just important that you uh, enjoy yourself while you're young. It's also important that you use wisdom and discernment in removing sorrow, it says, and putting away evil things. For childhood is vanity. Solomon says, rejoice in your youth thoroughly. And here's the third one. Reveal your faith thoughtfully. Reveal your faith thoughtfully. Now we're in chapter 12. Look at verse number one. We already read it. But remember now thy creator in the days of thy youth, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh, when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them, while the sun or the light or the moon or the stars be not darkened, nor the clouds return after the rain. In other words, Solomon is admonishing the reader to remember the creator in the days of their youth. I kind of get the feeling that Solomon is speaking from a position of experience. 
He's speaking from a position of experience in that he's been there and he's done that. And look at the vocabulary that he uses in verse number uh, one. It says, while the evil days come not, nor the years draw nigh when thou shalt say, I have no pleasure in them. You know what he's saying? You better remember your creator in the days of your youth before it lends you to make decisions where you're going to hate your life. That's where we find Solomon in the book of Ecclesiastes. He's looking back saying, I wish I knew then what I know now. Let me just give you some admonishment. Remember now your creator before it leads you to live a life full of despair, full of discouragement. Maybe you'll even come to the point like I did where I hated my life. Reveal your faith thoroughly. Here's the next one. Uh Uh-oh. I'm going to come down and talk to you. Respond to aging thankfully. Respond to aging, thankfully. In Ecclesiastes, we've kind of been robbed of seeing the rich vocabulary and the poetic vocabulary that Solomon uses through Song of Solomon and also through the book of Proverbs. We've kind of been robbed of that. Matter of fact, that's a reason why some people do not credit Solomon to writing the book of Ecclesiastes because they look at the literary richness and the content, uh, content and the poetic phrasing in the book of Song of Solomon and Proverbs and they say, uh, you go from that to vanity of vanities, all is vanity, I hate my life, the preacher like it can't be the same guy and it's almost like we've been robbed but there's a reason for that Solomon has a skewed view of life at this point when he's writing the book of Ecclesiastes it's at the end he's looking back and saying I wish I knew then what I know now and you know what he is he's a bitter old man He's a bitter old man. I kind of picture him if if they were playing javelin toss and they threw a javelin in his front yard he'd come out and say get off my lawn like that kind of guy He's a bitter old man, but look what he says uh, in these remaining verses. In in chapter number 12, Solomon paints a poetic picture of the signs of growing older. All right, ready? Here we go. Verse number three. It says, in the days when the keepers of the house shall tremble. That's the arms and the hands starting to shake. How many of you cannot grab a hold of things like you used to grab a hold of too because your hands are shaky? You don't have a steady hand like you used to have. Keep going in verse number three. And the strong men shall bow themselves. That's the legs, the knees, the shoulders that start to stoop. How many of you have lost a few inches over the past 10, 15 years? Used to be six foot five and now you're six foot three or six foot two. Hands begin to stoop. The strong men shall bow themselves. Here, keep reading. And the grinders cease because they are few. Anybody want to take a stab at what that is? Start to lose your teeth. Your teeth go and you got to get dentures. Keep reading. And those that look out of the window be darkened. That's the eyesight. It starts to fail. How many of you cannot see as well as you used to be able to see? Here's another one. Verse 4, it says, And the doors shall be shut in the trees. That's reference to the ears. Hearing loss. A, what'd you say? You can't hear as well as you used to? Lamar, can you slow down? Can you stop speaking so fast? Your hearing is starting to go. Actually, it's because I talk fast. When the sound of the grinding is low, again, that's a reference to the teeth. I like this one. And he shall rise up at the voice of the bird. Early risers. How many of you wake up, you wake up at, at ungodly hours and you don't know why? Because you're old. It's right there. Early risers. Keep reading. And all the daughters of music shall be brought low. A reference to the frailty of the vocal cords as they begin to diminish. How many of you cannot speak like you used to speak or you run out of breath uh, like you, uh, unlike you used to? How many of you are just discouraged so far? Thanks, Lamar. Appreciate it. We're not done. Keep going. Verse 5. Also, when they shall be afraid of that which is high and fear shall be in the way. Development of fears. How many of you are no longer reckless like you used to be in the days of your youth? All right, let's keep it five, ten under the speed limit. I don't want to be evil, cadevil here. I want to make sure that I, 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 I use it. How many of you are scared of things you used to not be scared of in your older age? And the almond trees shall flourish, a reference to hair turning white, gray, or for some of us, disappearing altogether. And the grasshopper shall be a burden. That's just a a reference to the shortness of life. And the span of a grasshopper is as the span of our life. And then it says, and desire shall be, uh, excuse me, shall fail because men goeth to his long home. Uh Uh-oh, the libido is gone. How many, never mind, keep going. (laughs) And the mourners go about the streets. We're a lot more involved in funerals than we are in social gatherings. 
And then in verse number six, he paints some pictures or some metaphors uh, or, or just some different ways of talking about the element of death. Look at it. It says, or ever the silver cord be loosed or the golden bow be broken or the pitcher be broken at the fountain or the wheels broke, uh, excuse me, the, or the wheels broken at the cistern. You say, Lamar, thanks a lot. I appreciate it. I risk getting coronavirus just to come and listen to you tell me how short life is and how old that I am getting. I didn't mean to discourage you and neither does Solomon because look what he says in verse number seven. This is very profound. He's not trying to discourage us. He's trying to remind us of a very important truth. Then shall the dust return to the earth as it was. Pause. In the words of Dave McCracken, we're all just a bunch of dirt bags. We were created to dust and guess what? We're gonna return to dust someday. And he's simply reminding us where we came from, but then look what he says at the latter part of verse seven. And the spirit shall return unto God. What are those next three words? Read it together. Who gave it? He's reminding us as we age gracefully, simply to just remember that life is a gift and every season is a gift. It is a gift from God. So the admonishment that he gives is very simple. Hey, redeem each day totally. Live for today. Try to get as much out of today. Not, and you understand the context of what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about just flippantly living. He's talking about redeeming the day that God has given you for God. Redeem each day totally. Rejoice in your youth thoroughly. Don't be in such a hurry to grow up. Rejoice in that season that God has placed in your life and respond to aging thankfully because life is a gift. Appreciate the seasons of life. Here's the third one. Analyze the simplicity of life. Analyze the simplicity of life. I know you're writing, but just look up here really quickly. How many of you understand that life is complicated? Life is difficult sometimes. You make a joke out of it, and maybe, maybe even while I've been preaching, I talk about uh, uh, the, the situations in life that we're faced, faced with are not really that extreme in regards to eternity, but in regards to you, in regards to me, they're a big deal. I don't want to pretend that anybody's got it easy and there's people in this room who are dealing with serious things in their life and serious offenses and serious circumstances and so life is very complicated but look what Solomon says in verse number 9 it says in, in verse number 9 of chapter 12 and moreover because the preacher that's Solomon because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge, yea. He gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out uh, acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Verse 11. The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assembly, which are given from one shepherd. Solomon says in verse number 9 and verse number 10, that he not only had great knowledge, he not only had great wisdom, he gave great knowledge and he gave great wisdom, but watch, the knowledge and the wisdom that he had and that he gave were not sufficient enough for him to make it through the complexity of life. He asked God for wisdom. We looked, he didn't even apply the wisdom that God gave him, but nonetheless, he's summarizing and saying that it wasn't enough for me and it wasn't enough for you. It takes more. You know what Solomon needs? Simplicity. No one said amen because you don't know where I'm going with this, but he needed simplicity. I love how he unfolds the rest of this chapter. Look at verse number 11. He gives us the most simplest of principles. The words of the wise are as goads, and nails, excuse me, and as nails fastened by the masters of assembly, which are given from one shepherd. He gives the principle or the lesson of the goad and the nail. The goad and the nail. The goad was used to prod and poke the sheep to move them forward in the direction that the shepherd wanted them to go. It was fastened out of either stone or maybe it was stick or twig or something of that nature. And it had a blunt end that was used for batting them over the head whenever they disobeyed. And it had a sharp end that was used to prod and to poke and to get them to go in the direction that the shepherd wanted them to go. You see where I'm going with this? But, you know, that prodding process and that poking process and that bashing process hurt the sheep for their own good. 
Why? Because they want to go a direction that is contrary to the direction that the shepherd wants them to go to. So the shepherd would use what is called a goad to prod and to direct them, even though it's going to hurt. He wants them to go in the direction that the shepherd wants them to go. Why? Because the shepherd knows the right direction. But not only that, he gives the principle of the nail. The nail was used to pin down stubborn sheep who would often try to wander away from the safety of the flock, subjectifying themselves to the attacks of the enemy. You've, all, you've seen the Sunday school flannel graph, but usually they would accumulate in the herd or the fold, and the fold was either the stone or it was this wood corral, and it was huge. It was way bigger than the actual flock, and in the confines of the fold wasn't safety necessarily because enemies could still get in the fold, but it kept them corralled in the location that the shepherd wanted them to be, and you know, he would sit at the door, but you know, some joker sheep who was not doing what he was supposed to do, he would leave the safety of the fold. He'd go to the far end of the gate and he'd subjectify himself to the attacks of the enemy and so the shepherd who loves the sheep would go and he would take the sheep and he would bring him and fasten a neck a thing around his neck and he would take a nail and he would fasten him to the confines of the fold to keep him in the proximity that the shepherd wanted him to be you understand he wants to wonder but the shepherd wants him to stay here so he would fasten him by the nail to where he wanted him to stay in other words here's what Solomon is saying he says that the words of the wise shepherd will prod you in the direction he wants you to go and retain you in the places that he wants you to stay. That's what the words of the wise shepherd will do. The wise, the wise shepherd or the words of the wise shepherd are going to navigate and prod you in the direction that he wants you to go. And the words of the wise shepherd are going to keep you fastened where he wants you to stay. I don't think that it's any stretch of the matter that Solomon probably had access to the writings of his father, King David. And King David was a good king, but you know what? King David was a great shepherd. And King David is, is, is famous for writing one of our favorite psalms, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. The Lord is my shepherd. You say, okay, Lamar, well, how do I know when to go? How do I know when to stay? Ready? Learn the voice of the shepherd. Learn to follow the voice and the instructions of the shepherd. When the shepherd prods you to go, you go. When the shepherd fastens you, you stay. Learn to follow the voice of the shepherd. But it's not just the voice of the shepherd. It is the voice of one shepherd, he says. He says the voice of one shepherd. Because it's hard to listen to the right shepherd when there are other voices that are getting in the way. Hey, the world, the flesh, and the devil, you know what they want to try, you to, do, try to get you to do? They want to prod you to go when you should stay. And they want to try to get you to stay when you're supposed to go. So here's the redneck wisdom. It's very simple. Sift through the voices and listen to the shepherd. Sift through the voices that are trying to demand your attention and to try to give you instruction and simply focus on the voice of the shepherd. And when he prods, you move. And when he fastens, you stay. Learn to follow the voice of the shepherd. Analyze the simplicity of life. Let's close it out. Let's close it out like Solomon says it. He gives us one more lesson, and it's very good. You know, we're, we, we've, we've known where we've go, been going this whole time, and, and let's just get there, all right? Here we go. Here's the fourth one. Affirm the seriousness of life. Affirm the seriousness of life. All of it boils down. If we sift through all the extra quests and all the extra things that Solomon is talking about, it all boils down to this. Ready? Verse 13 and 14. Here we go. Let us, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Spoken like a true preacher. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Ready? Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Verse 14. For God shall bring every work into judgment every, excuse me, with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon gives us three things to help us find meaning and purpose in life in these final two verses of Ecclesiastes, and let's look at them very quickly. Here's the first one. Live life fearing God cautiously. Live life fearing God cautiously. Verse 13, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter, fear God. Two words, very powerful. Fear God. Always maintain a high view of God. Never adapt a casual attitude towards the Lord. Why? He's holy and you're not. 
He's righteous and you're not. Why is that important to say to a Sunday night crowd? Because there's a saying, as goes the world, so goes the church. And we're in a position today in Christianity where we have trivialized the holiness of God, thus making him unfearable. You know it's true. I don't want to belittle any of the songs that we've sang today, but we sang, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. Man, we love to sing about the friendship of Jesus. We love to sing about the comforter. We love to sing, as Brother Daniel just sang, what a great song it was, that I know him like a, 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 through the pain and the, the comfort that God brings through those series of valleys and those series of difficult circumstances. We love to talk about God the provider, don't we? How we provided for our time of need. And we love to talk about God the sustainer. And we love to talk about all these different attributes of God. But you know what we need a healthy dose of in Christianity? The holiness of God. He is holy and we are not. He is meant to be feared because he is holy, because of his righteousness, and because of our unholiness and our unrighteousness. Therefore, fear him. Develop a healthy fear of God. Live life fearing God cautiously. Place him in the position of utmost importance because that's exactly where he belongs, and fear him. You want to find meaning? Live life fearing God cautiously. Here's the second one. We're almost done. Learn to listen to the word of God completely. Learn to listen to the word of God completely. Verse number 13, again, it says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. Listen, when God speaks, when the shepherd speaks, obey completely. Obey all of it. Don't sift through and decide what you want to follow in the word of God. Just determine that you're going to follow every command that God has given you completely. A lot of the times we like to look at the Bible and we like to say, man, the world hates this book. That's not necessarily true. They really don't hate this book. Seattle is a liberal place. And if we were to go over to Pike Place Market and we were to walk up to the average Seattleite and say, hey, this is the Bible. Do you hate it? They'd probably say, of course not. I don't hate the Bible. That's a great history book. That's a great book. Matter of fact, they'll say something probably along the, uh, along the lines of this. That's a very inspiring book. It's full of inspiration. Christians do not look at the word of God the same way that the world looks at, at the word of God. It is a history book and it's full of accurate history. I love it. And it is a book that is full of inspiration. But you know what we look to the word of God for? Instruction. Correction. We look to the word of God for instructions, prodding and poking to point us in the right direction and also fastening and nailing to keep us grounded where we need to be grounded. That's a simple Sunday school truth, but can I tell you something? What will get us in trouble this week is going to be deciding on what we want to do in regards to compliance with the word of God. Compliance with the word of God, it requires complete obedience to be right with God. Every time the word of God is preached, yes, Lord. Every time you get into the word of God in your devotions, yes, Lord. There's no thing too small. There's no thing too great. There's no precept too insignificant in your eyes not to say, I will respond and I will obey. Why? That's the only way you're going to find meaning. You better develop a healthy fear of God, but not only that, you better to endeavor to respond and to obey the word of God in its entirety. Otherwise, you're just going to aimlessly wander in a circle to no end. You want to find meaning, live life, fearing God cautiously, learn to listen to the word of God completely. We like to stop at verse 13, don't we? You knew where I was going from the very first message that we preached. Most of you in here are students of the word of God, and you know where we're going. Uh, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's a great verse. It's a very popular verse. I'd say it's probably the most popular verse in the book of Ecclesiastes, but Solomon's conclusion does not stop with fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. He gives us one more lesson, and it's found in verse number 14. Here it is. Look forward to your divine appointment confidently. Look forward to your divine appointment confidently. Verse 14, it says, For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That's how Solomon chooses to close this book of Ecclesiastes. He reminds us of the coming event that awaits every single person in this room 
And he says, hey, there's going to come a time where God is going to bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. Solomon closes the book of Ecclesiastes, not only reminding us to fear God and keep his commandments, we should do that, but he also reminds us that we're going to be meeting this God, our creator, a lot sooner than most of us think. We're going to be meeting him a lot sooner than most of us think. And, and how many of you, if you knew that tomorrow was going to be your last 24 hours, it would affect how you live tomorrow? Maybe you'd wake up a little bit earlier. Teens? No. Maybe you wouldn't go to sleep at all. Maybe you'd endeavor to do something for someone or do something for the cause of Christ or do something for the Lord or witness or share your faith or do a number of these different things. If you knew that tomorrow was your last 24 hours, if you knew then what you know now, it would change the way that you operate tomorrow. But you know what? No man knows. But did you know that we should operate every single day that way? We should operate every single day, not in fear of death, but we should operate in, in, in this light that we're going to be judged of God according to our works. And today might be my last day. Today is a gift from God. And if I'm going to redeem today in its totality, I'm going to live today getting as much out of today as I possibly can for the cause of Christ. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. That last part of that verse preaches by itself. If you just understood that whenever we stand before God and that God is going to judge us according to our works, whether it be good or whether it be evil, even the secret things, that's going to affect the way you live. That's going to affect the way that you behave. It's going to affect the way that you move forward. If it doesn't affect your works in the now, you can mark it down and be assured that your divine appointment will be, it'll be filled with a lot more sadness than it will be rewards. In closing, as we boil down the past 15 weeks, it's been a long time, but as we boil down the past 15 weeks into one simple admonishment, it'd be best to just leave it in the light that Solomon left it. Do you want to find meaning? Do you want to find purpose in life? We already talked about all those different things that you can pursue to try to find purpose and try to find meaning. Solomon has been there, done that, and got the t-shirt. Here's what he says. Fear God, keep his commandments in the now, because the then is sooner than you think. Develop a healthy fear of God. Endeavor to be in complete subjection and complete, complete obedience to the Holy Spirit as you anticipate and look forward to the inevitable appointment as you stand before the face of your creator. And he judges you according to the good, the bad, and the ugly. The now and the then. Let's fear God, keep his commandments, and let's look forward in great anticipation to our divine appointment. Lord, I pray that you